to Live and Learn with Henry and Mike. We are former executive producers, colleagues, and we were part of the trailblazing generation that was on the frontier of creating and solidifying reality TV as a genre. That is correct. We met in our 20s, and now after many years apart, and after both successfully making a career change, we're coming back together. We have experienced a ton, and we are ready to dish, deconstruct, and unpack it all. We're going behind the scenes and pulling back the curtain to share our stories and what we learned along the way, giving you guys a glimpse of the real and reality TV and so much more. Yes, that is correct, Mike. And today's topic, and this is our eighth and final episode of the season, and the topic is learning to put yourself first. Henry, our eighth and final episode of the first season. I think it's safe to say that we, I mean, we're at the finish line here, right? Almost. Almost. It's been great. I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for your time. (laughs) Thanks for everything. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think, um, what's been cool so far, not to veer too far from our, from our script here, but, uh, I think it's been cool to obviously reconnect with you and do it on a, a, a pretty, fun and deep level um and explore some things that i think both of us needed to explore and along the way help some other people explore their things for lack of a better term things (laughs) (laughs) things kind of says it all though (laughs) it does it does listen for seven episodes you guys have heard us share our stories about how we put ourselves second in our previous careers in television You told, sorry, we told you about some of our highest of highs and some of our lowest of lows. During the last few weeks, we have been overwhelmed by the responses from you guys, our listeners. We've heard from former colleagues, friends, and total strangers, all sharing some of their personal stories. We would like to pass along in this episode, some of those messages to you guys, because we think it can help keep the conversation going, not only in the TV industry, well, excuse me but also in a lot of other industries as well. Definitely, Mike, definitely. So just a reminder, the content in this podcast may contain information and discussions of work PTSD, mistreatment, and other traumatic situations. Friends, if you need support at any time, please call or text Mental Health America. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's T-A-L-K, or 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center or text MHA to 741-741 at the crisis text line. Okay, so before we jump into sharing messages and stories, let's give some background info on something that has been in the news lately that is very relevant to what Mike and I have been discussing. There was a very real possibility in Hollywood that the Hollywood unions, IATSE, would go on strike, and this would have halted almost all film and television production across the United States. This strike would have been the first in the union's 128-year history and the first major crew strike since World War II. So for those that don't know, IATSE is an acronym. Uh, It stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Sorry, different. (laughs) (laughs) IATSE is I-A-T-S-E, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. 
Okay, so that's one of these unions that we're talking about. And the union represents a variety of industry workers, studio mechanics, wardrobe people, makeup artists, camera operators. In total, it acts on behalf of 150,000 crew members in the US and Canada. Around 60,000 of those are covered by the current TV and film contracts being renegotiated. So this is a big section of the entertainment that we consume on television, whatever network you're watching, whatever streamer you're watching, this is a lot of the people behind the scenes that are making this happen. Um, a lot of our friends and colleagues who we formerly worked with and continue to stay in touch with. So this affects them and their families. And some of the stuff that we've spoken about, Henry, um, you know, me just specifically with being away from my little girls and my wife while I was, you know, on the road and just feeling like I didn't, I wasn't getting that work-life balance. That's really what a lot of this has been about is is people wanting to have a work-life balance and not be indebted to the show and 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 missing out on life and that's what we talked about the name of this episode you know putting yourself learning to put yourself first and oftentimes we and we've talked about this in previous episodes putting yourself second or last for that matter which as you're saying mike when you're working in TV and film, as well as many other industries, what can happen is, is that you can become conditioned that the job or the work or the career becomes so much more important than anything else, which even your life, yeah. which is why this industry strike was potentially going to happen. And so the industry strike would have essentially stopped Hollywood production across the country in all its tracks. Yet um, this weekend on Saturday, October 16th, 2021, IATSE, as well as the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers announced a new three-year contract for better working hours, safer workplace conditions, and improved benefits. So just full disclosure, we're recording this on October 18th, um, just a couple days or a day and a half after they announced that this deal had been struck. And this podcast will air a week from tomorrow, which will be the 26th. If, if my math serves me yes, correctly, so. um, just so everybody knows. Um, and uh, listen, we're happy that this deal has been made, but it really doesn't solve the entire problem. Um, the pandemic has been a brutal reminder to many producers that they don't have the same protections as many of their industry colleagues. So the people who are operating the equipment and working with you know, working on the talent as far as hair and makeup and things like that. The producers don't do that stuff. The producers have a separate job. The producers really set up the scenarios. They're working behind the behind the scenes. They're working for weeks and weeks and weeks before any of those crew members actually show up on set, wherever that set might be. So those crew people are, I mean, let's be real, Henry, they're already, even though their conditions and their things are, had been so, had been really, not fair and not cool. Let's be real. They were a very large percentage better than what any of the producers, which you and I were doing and, and, and people that we know still do way better than their conditions and, and their benefits and their whatever you won't even call it. Like, so while producers very... don't have a union and there's, there's no benefits for us. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's been something that's been talked about for a long time is figuring out a way to, you know, have a a union for the, the producers, but, uh, it just, you know, honestly, I think that, you know, we dealt with this in the gig economy, 
you you have to you can't afford to not work. So when when a show comes along, um, you have to you know you don't you don't have a lot of options unless you're sitting on a pile of cash. Like you're gonna take the gig. Like they they lure you in, right? They go, hey, it's, it's a four week gig, and maybe you'll get it's not extended. Not gonna be that bad. It's gonna be great. P- take a little bit of you know less than you normally take on this one, and on the next one we'll get you. Well, Henry, we'll give you we both a title support- bump. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all know that it just, it doesn't happen like that. At the end of the day, the, the, the producers or the studios or the production companies, they're looking to penny pinch and save money any way they can so that the owner of that company can fill their pockets as much as humanly possible. And, um, it's sad. And the networks are making a return too. It's not just the production companies networks well, yeah. as well. And I would like to say, Mike, to just to kind of Working in scripted and unscripted, there is a bit of a difference. And in unscripted and reality TV, the challenge that can potentially happen, and that did happen when Mike and I were there, um, was that conditions can become better for crew. So say now they're going to be on a 10-hour day, which great instead of a 12-hour. That being said, sometimes that can mean for producers that they're going to have to take up that 11, 12-hour where all of a sudden there was a change in reality TV where producers started having to pick up producer cameras to start shooting. Or if you're in post-production, you're in in the edit bay, when the editor goes home, you're next thing you know, you're getting on the edit and you're making string outs. And so that's really the challenge I think that we're speaking to for producers in specifically reality TV and unscripted, that there could be a concern that even though these negotiations have gone down, which is fantastic for, you know, for the crew, absolutely. I feel concerned and I think you do too about the producers, like they're already working hard enough, you know, who's really watching their backs. You know, and, and to, to sort of translate it to other industries as well, you know, I've heard this countless times over the years for different friends who are in different, you know, big companies or we're cutting a department right? They're budget cuts. We're cutting a department. So now you had this position where you oversaw or you were part of a team who worked on one specific thing. Well, now one of those other teams who worked on another specific thing is gone. So now you're going to have to inherit that workload. And you know what we're going to give you in return? Nothing. <laughs> we're we're going to give you nothing. You're, you're going to just continue to do the same job that you <laughs> No, were... we're going to give you more work, more responsibility. We're not going to give you more pay. That's what I mean, right? That's what I mean. You're not going to, there's no sort of benefit to the, the increased workload, the increased stress load. You're just, you should be lucky that you didn't get your department cut. And it's such a messed up way to run a company and not all companies do this there's certainly some good ones out there and i think what you're talking about with the fear though how you're fear inducing somebody to be motivated to work and then be grateful for the job opportunity when meanwhile you could potentially be working yourself into illness if you will yeah yeah um listen all of this stuff is so real and it cuts in so many different ways for so many different people um, you know, I think for our friends in entertainment, it's forcing a lot of people to rethink their career paths and, you know, and, or if they don't rethink their career paths, they're going to continue to put themselves second. And that's something I think that we would like to see change. Obviously you and I, Henry, we, we made that choice, you know, a few years ago 
to say no more. We're not putting ourselves and our families second. We're going to go ahead and, and prioritize the, the important things to us, at least. And that is our our happiness, right? Our, our personal health, our personal well-being, our, the amount of times that we get to smile and laugh throughout the day and, um, and be with the people that we love to be around and, um, you know, and just sort of live life the best that we can and, and sort of take charge in a way that we're the ones calling the shots at this point. Um, and listen, uh, let, I think at the end of the show, maybe we can revisit some of this stuff, but why don't we sort of dive into some of these stories and messages? Um, I think we mentioned since the show began, since we did our show, we've been getting a ton of outreach. I don't know if you're following us on social media. I've posted a few things. Henry's posted a few things, just sort of sharing what kind of support we've had and, and how great the reaction has been. And it's really overwhelmed us a lot. And we're so grateful and thankful um, for people sharing, A, how our show has helped them cope and get through some of this but B, just sharing some of their sort of horror stories, if you will, of the, in the sort of the, the relatable stories of how they had been abused or mistreated and just make you shake your head at like, how is this even possible? So um, we're going to share some of those, Henry. Uh, I know you've got some personal messages that people sent you. I've had personal ones that people sent me. We're going to keep everyone's names out of this. And if they haven't, if we haven't spoken to you ahead of time and you, they haven't agreed to it, um, we'll keep their names out of it. Um, and some of these have come from sort of, again, anonymous sources. So um, we don't want to out anybody here. We're, we're, Henry and I are putting our names out there, <laughs> which is fine. We'll do that for everybody. So in a lot of ways, um, you know, we're really wanting to just give voice to other people's stories because, you know, Mike and I, I think, Mike, we've really understood going through this experience, how profound it has been for us to share our stories with each other. And then also, like you said, the response. And by sharing your stories out loud, it is scientifically proven to help process stress, anxiety, and trauma. So we're going to share. And the first one that um, I'm going to share is is an anonymous story. And it's, it's from Nonfiction Unite Instagram account. So here it is. A turning point for me in this industry was after being in a horrific car accident while driving to set. My first call was to my dad. My second was to tell work that I didn't think I could make it to set and that I had the props for the event that morning and stuff we needed to film with. Nervous that I just screwed up our shoot. I had my AP meet me in the trauma unit to get my house and car keys. He had to grab items from my house and out of my almost totaled car for, for the shoot. I'll never forget laying in the ER, more worried that I was going to get fired or replaced for getting injured than about my health. And when one of my superiors at the production company asked, do we need to replace you? I got scared that they were going to take me off the show and said, no, I just need a couple days to rest. Hey, yeah, 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 Henry. Yeah, let's like take that in for a second, Mike. Yeah. I mean, we are, we were conditioned to believe that 
that show, that shoot, the shoot day, the, t- the, the moment where they were going to start rolling cameras was the most important thing in the universe. And if something went wrong on that shoot day, life would end. And we are all trained to think that. Now, listen, again, relating it back to other industries and other jobs, look, we've, we've all had presentations to make or important meetings or things like that. And we stress out about it. And we believe like, you know, look, work stress is a real thing and people get ulcers and from other lines of work, it's not just production, but I don't think that you're trained in a way in other industries to feel this way. I believe that we, that we, we were really taught this, like it, it's, it's ingrained it's the, in it's you. It's brainwashing. I mean, it's, it's brainwashing. legitimately brainwashing. And, and to hear this, to read this story and hear about this, it just, it, it brings up so many memories for me. I mean, other producers out there and Henry, you too, like I, the night before a shoot, what, 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 what did that feel like to you a night before a, a, a shoot? Oh, I mean, first of all, I was, I had nerves where I, do I have everything? I mean, I would double check everything. Do I have everything? I would, I, I mean, I would check my list a couple times and if I had gear, I would be checking the gear too, to make sure that it was all there, that it was working, that all the batteries, um, cause oftentimes, as you know, if you're traveling, producers are traveling with gear sometimes making sure that the batteries were all charged because if you got to, if you got to set or off the plane and you had to shoot and the batteries aren't charged, then <laughs> you're screwed. <laughs> Yeah. you're screwed i mean how did it feel but, for you i mean yeah no all of that the, the gear like the gear alone if you know if you're traveling wherever you're traveling to even if we're doing in-town locations it, are is the camera guy going to show up right like are is talent going to show up and, and when i say talent you know in reality shows these are just regular people who we are asking to modify their lives and, and sort of like rearrange their lives to be on our shoot, oftentimes not getting paid themselves, just sort of sacrificing their time and day just because, because they're good people. And we have to, we have no control over whether or not they decide to get in the car and show up or they decide to just stay home and, and say, and screw it. That being said, if they don't show up, we're the ones who get blamed. We Absolutely. get in trouble. The network gets up. And if you're a showrunner or you know, high up on the food chain, the network is like questioning you, like you did something like you can't control them coming to set. Yeah. Yeah. Because in scripted, these are professional hired paid actors. This is how they make their living, their livelihood. In reality, these people have lives. They have families. They have jobs. They have careers. It's real they have, people. They're real people. They have other responsibilities. The TV show, they could give a, you know, S less about a TV show. They're doing us a favor. And the, the, the key really to, to being a good producer is to, you know, we talked about this in early episodes, is to figure out ways to, to get those people make to a help you. Them. You gotta make a connection with them and make them trust you and make them feel like they're valued and, and you know, important enough to, what, to, to where they will do the things that you want them or need them to do for the show. So, I will say, Mike, um, if somebody had an emergency where they needed to go to the hospital or a family member, they would have no problem calling you saying, I'm really sorry. 
I'm yeah. not going to be able to show up because I have to go do this. Right. Right. Their priority would be themselves and their health and family. Exactly. Because they're, they weren't brainwashed to believe what we believe. Whereas the story that you just read, Henry, that's not it. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't, th this person was freaking out about everything. And I mean, just look what happened. They had, they had a, another colleague, an associate producer go to the hospital to the like trauma peel, unit. the trauma unit to peel the guy's keys and, and, and for his house and his car and get the stuff out of the car so the shoot could happen. And can you imagine like this person calling their dad and telling their dad probably their most, their biggest concern was getting the props to set. And as a parent hearing your child who's in the hospital and who knows, maybe, you know, if, if they're in California and they come from another state, it's yeah, like yeah. that parent, you're a parent, Mike, feeling really helpless to help your child and then also being concerned about their health and then worrying that, wow, my child's more concerned about the props yeah. that they could have just died in that accident. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's so sad. It's so scary. And I do want to say this, Henry, look at not every single show is like this, you know, and has this vibe but a lot of them do and not many people just work on one show for one company and and have a positive experience for the for the entire careers i mean the nature of reality tv is the majority of the producers and staff and crew jump from show to show to show to show so you're not working at a at a company for a long period of time per se so you're not building these personal relationships so you really are treated as just sort of a title or a, a number in a way. Whereas if you were working for a company where you did develop a relationship with somebody over a period of time, they would start to look at you a little bit more like a human being and, and less as a, you know, a, a piece of a puzzle or a, you know, a pawn, so to speak. Right. You're like, you kind of, I look at it as like a factory worker. You're just one on, you're one on the yeah. line, getting it done. And right. if you can't get it done, somebody else is going to step into your place on the line. That's good. That's a good way to look at it. Um, okay. So I want to move on to another one, Henry. This was an email from a listener of our show who reached out to me directly and sent me an email after they listened to episode five. Um, so I'm just going to read what they wrote. I've changed a couple of things in there just because I don't want to give away uh, their, their position that might out them in any way. So um, here we go. Wanted to let you know that episode five cut deep with me. Recently, I was fired from a show and that sort of threw me into a mini depression. I felt like my position is my identity, my position. This is where he said his name or his, his position. I felt like my position is my identity. And if I fail at that, what am I even good for? My wife told me to stop moping around the house after, uh, after several days to not let that one situation affect me like that. I related to your story about having one person put so much importance or value on you. It's definitely a mind F as you put it. It's nice to know my career wasn't over after that experience. And a week later, I got a better job with a more respectful director and a better production company. So yeah, I mean, that was in, in episode five. I spoke a little bit about this one producer who really did a number on me and, uh, and made me feel like like he was sort of the be all end all 
when it came to everything in my career. And um, I allowed that one person to have a big effect on me. And it sent me to a big, a big depression for, for some time. So the fact that, you know, we, we talk about this, Henry, if we could reach one person and sort of help them and make them feel like they're not alone, I think we have succeeded in what our mission was. And so getting this message from this particular person was really touching and um, it meant a lot. I agree. I mean, it, it, I think that's probably one of the most incredible things about this whole experience for me as well with you know sharing our stories i feel like it took for me some courage and some bravery and so when we started getting these types of messages i just felt like okay you know one we're not alone and two you know we're planting seeds and it's you know it's supporting other people and to hear his story you know, and in the end, you know, I got a better job with a more respectful director and better production company. It goes to what you were just saying, Mike, you know, not every show or company is like that. So you can have hope that there is a place for you that can offer the respect and also a better conditions that can bring more harmony to your overall life. So I really love that, you know, he kind of just explained everything that we were just talking about that you can yeah. go through something challenging, but yet you can get yourself back up and through it, something better can come along. Absolutely. Henry, that's something that um, I've sort of recently learned to a, a new perspective, you know, looking for, looking at things from a different point of view. And it's something that you teach, I think, in your mindfulness classes and, and Reiki classes. And in fact, you gave me some good advice the other day um, and may, should I share a little bit of the, of, the, sure. of the story? So I had a client or a person I was sort of in touch with who we had, be, we had developed a little bit of a, of a relationship and I was certainly nurturing and trying to, you know, make this person of a client. And he told me that he was ready to look to purchase a home for those who don't know, I'm a real estate agent now. Um, and so I, I said, great. And he told me that, uh, he wanted to know how much of my how much of my commission I was willing to give him. Now, in real estate, the seller usually pays for the commission for both agents: the, the agent that helps the buyer and the agent that uh, and the agent that helps the seller. So, the seller is paying for that commission. So, so the buyer doesn't have to worry about that. If you're going, if you're any of you are trying to ever go buy a house, like you don't have to worry about paying a real estate agent. They work they work for the seller essentially, um, and so. I said to him, I explained it. Look, well, the seller typically pays for my commission. He goes, I know I want some of that too. And, <laughs> you know, my initial response was, first of all, wow, that's ballsy. Um, you know, imagine somebody coming to you. I mean, this is my profession. This is my livelihood. This is my paycheck. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, I want you to give me some of your paycheck for, for the work that you're going to do for me. And so I was really taken aback by it. Well, fast forward to, uh, I, I basically tell him that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, he's not going to any of my, my, I bring value in several other ways, which is true. And I told him, I just, I don't work that way. I don't operate that way. And he told me that he found someone who was going to be giving him $15,000 out of his own pocket. And I said, God bless him. Like, good luck to you, buddy. I wish you the best. And I hope that 
you know, you find what you need, you know, find what you're looking for. And, um, and Henry, I share the story with you. And there's a few other pieces that I, I'm leaving out, but I shared the story with you and you said, you can't look at it as you lost $15,000. You said, you told me you got to look at it as if you have now made space for a transaction that is three times that amount. So you've made space now for a $45,000, you know, commission or, or deal. And I thought that was so great. And I had started to look at things in different perspectives, but the way you put it in that moment, just like it was like a light bulb that just went off. And I love that. And I really, really appreciated that from you. So thank you, by the way, for that again. You're so welcome. And I'll just say, and so it is. To add an <laughs> exclamation point to that. And I'll also say to you, I was really proud of you because you came from a situation in reality TV where you have work PTSD, there is mistreatment, there is gaslighting, and you stood up for yourself. And you yeah. said, oh no, uh-uh, no, mm -hmm. I already worked for free <laughs> in some ways in another industry. Yeah. Oh no, uh-uh, no, no, that doesn't interest no. me anymore. It, you know, it goes back, it's, you know, it's, it's know your worth and know your yeah. value and know what you bring and don't settle. And don't be afraid of that. And um, Henry, I didn't tell you this, but uh, two days ago, I, I another opportunity came, and it's going to be for three times that amount. Oh my god, amazing! I mean, how they crazy! Space for it, and it came. Oh my god, incredible! I mean, it's just, it's, it's just proof that you change. You can, if you change your mindset things, your life will change. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's something that, you know, we tried to do throughout our careers in entertainment, but at a certain point, you, there are things that you just don't have control over. And, and, and what you do have control over is your mindset. And it's something that is so powerful. And if you can start to really focus and hone in on that, and you start to see some results, I think, you know, you'll start to build that momentum and it'll start to, to really, you know, pay dividends. And so I'm starting Literally, to see that. But I'm bump. Yeah. Yeah. So well, congratulations. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. So we're going to share another story. This story is from a Facebook group and it's one of our, um, somebody who is also a fan of our show and they said, I remember a showrunner shaming me and my camera op for being upset when a cast member's ex-lover showed up on set, threatened to shoot us, then walked to his car to get the gun. Apparently, we weren't supposed to feel anything. <laughs> I'm laughing from nervousness and like awkward laughter here. Like, are you kidding me? You're just supposed I've, to just. I, I've been on set several times, by the way, where people have brought guns. Have you? I have not. Not that I can think of. Maybe I blocked it out. Give me a minute and maybe it'll come back. But I, I don't remember that. It's, I mean, and I also was in a situation where um, I was um, EPing a show and my production manager, I was directing and my production manager um, came in and said, it was like two in the morning and my one of my producers was outside and there was a guy who had a um 
a rifle pointing towards our OTF. And what's that? Explain what OTF is. Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, OTF is on the fly interview. And so our, my producer was doing an on the fly interview outside. We were wrapping up for the evening and just getting, um, responses to the scene that we had just filmed. And so, um, because this was happening, there was a rifle, I think it was an automatic rifle that was pointing towards the OTF. I had to somehow get the producer and the crew back in without letting them know that there was a person pointing a gun towards them because you didn't want them to panic. Oh and yeah. All about safety. yeah. And, and so Mike reading this, it, it's like, I like the fact that the showrunner wasn't concerned about people's safety. It, it's like, so it, it, it's just so upsetting and surprising and shocking yet at the same time, it doesn't shock me. And that's where it's like, for me, that responsibility that you have people that you're responsible for, you have a set that you're responsible yeah. for and the safety has to be like number one. And it's such a tricky, it's such a, such a tricky place when, um, you know, anytime, any kind of like gun guns or knives or anything like that, that could potentially bring in harm. Yeah. Well, even temper, even a, a bad temper, uh, uh, you know, someone who's, who's got some mental, you know, illness going on, who's lost it and, and been triggered for whatever reason, you know, you mentioned safety first. So funny, not funny, haha, but funny, like, oh my gosh, I worked with a guy, uh, whose motto, he, I, whether he was joking or not, I don't know, but he, his motto, he would always say safety third, mm. you know, it's like, get the shot, you know, get the shot first and then eh, we'll worry about safety later. And, um, again, whether he was joking or not, it just, it always rubbed me the wrong way to hear that. And yeah, I mean, we've all been in, I think some, you know, precarious positions. I mean, you always know, it's funny when I was learning to shoot B-roll, B-roll for those who know, it's just like, it's short for beauty roll, beauty shots. You just filming like clouds in the sky or trees or cars passing by. When I was learning to do that early on, you know, I always was told by directors and DPs, directors of photography, that the best shot is like just past the point of where you shouldn't be going. Like if there's a fence line, like a regular camera guy would just go right up to that fence line. But the great camera guy will climb over the fence and take like 10 steps over and get a better shot and get the best shot. And it's funny because they I know that they meant that literally, but it's also like metaphorically in that business. It's like you go over the line to be better than the next, than, than, than your competition or whoever it is. And it's like, okay, so what like, no, there's no discussion of what the consequences might be for going across that line. And um, it's funny when I was doing a show in Texas, like there are fences everywhere because people's property and there are signs and there are barbed wire and there are things with pictures of guns. It's like, you come on this property, you're going to get shot. And every time I would see those, those signs, like I would think about the DP going, Oh, you got to get on the other side of the fence. I'm like, mm -mm, mm -mm, not getting on this. Nope. Side of that fence. Mm -hmm. nope. <laughs> not worth it. I, 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 I filmed several shows in Texas and Texas was one of the places where 
um, we did have to let cast members know that in coming to set, um, guns were not allowed on our set. Right. And we had to also remind them not to keep their guns also in the glove compartments. Oh, yeah, yeah. And because oftentimes, as you know, I mean, we're getting, um, we're, all, we're getting the car to car shots and things like that. So we're putting cameras in cars. And so say if, you know, one of the crew is in the car and the gun accidentally goes off. Oh my gosh. It, it's like, there's so many things. So for me, safety was really important. So reading this, I don't know, it's really upsetting that um, we don't take people's safety seriously. And I will say for us, when we were on Average Joe, we talked about um, when we did the cliff diving. Mm -hmm. And so that could potentially be dangerous. However, we had a whole safety team that was there that was telling us when to actually jump, when it was safe. And we had lifeguards there as well. Like there was like a whole team. I think there was yeah. like three or four people there in terms and by the of- way, by the way, Henry, we were, it was, to, that was totally voluntary. That was a, a fun thing. That well, I mean, we also though, it was for the, the cast though, they oh, for the cast for the scene. Correct. And so it was completely safe in those ramifications, which I think yes. when you are producing something, you know, if you're looking at it from the safety aspect, make sure the safety's there. And then, you know, the production just can be more grounded because you have the safety measures in place. And once again, I just want to point out the flip side, you know, to, to, to sort of button up what you were saying on average, Joe, we certainly had safety measures in place. And most of the shows that I've been on, there are safety meetings for almost everything. Anytime you're doing any, anything that's sort of maybe dangerous, there's definitely safety meeting. So that comes on the production company. Now, what the showrunner decides to do after that safety meeting, that's a whole nother story. And that's where it gets a little bit dicey. Um, but the production companies, you know, obviously they're trying to limit their liability as much as possible. They don't want to, they don't want an accident. They don't want to get- So is the network too. Yeah, and the network too. But um, anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> in, in, in itself. That's season um, two maybe. Yeah, maybe season two. We can bring on a safety expert. Um, all right, should I read another one? Yes. So this is from a Facebook group um, that has some reality producers in, and uh, and they share they shared this one. Wow, these stories are bringing up some past traumas I had buried long ago, like when I worked fourteen hour days regularly as a supervising producer, and one night at three a.m. I just couldn't find the brain power to watch it cut down one more time before it went to my EP, but I made sure to let him know, made it, made sure to let him know that to be fully transparent. I was screamed at the next day by him over the phone for not staying and watching it down. Mind you, when he phoned me, I was already in the office by 10 AM and he hadn't even made it in yet. I got ulcers and depression from that show and eventually was let go and was never given a reason which took an unbearable toll on my mental health. And to this day, I do not take on supervising roles for fear of the gaslighting and stress. Hashtag relatable. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying hashtag relatable because yeah, I mean, yeah, Henry, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I'm hashtagging relatable too. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. 
that's the other part, like the hypocrisy of a lot of this, of, of the supervising roles and the, the showrunners and the EPs, you know, a lot of them, you know, I always tried and you too, Henry, I know, like we held ourselves to a higher standard because not only are we just different kinds of people, but we climbed the ladder from the bottom. We really started at the bottom and, and held every position on the way up, which gave us so much more perspective when we got to the top. And that was something that I really wore as a badge of honor. And I think that that's a big problem in the industry is some of these showrunners or EPs, they get promoted or they end up starting at, you know, relatively high and they don't have to do those lower level jobs and do these jobs that mind you are a little bit inhumane as far as, you know, the hours and, and what you're doing, you know, for the amount of time. But, but at the same time, that's sort of what cuts your teeth and, and builds that character and that humility um, to allow you to be, in my opinion, a really great showrunner and executive producer. And then also just a sympathetic human being for crying out loud, like to just realize that people have lives outside of the show. They have families or, you know, they have laundry to do or, or meals to eat, <laughs> you know, bills to pay, grocery shopping to do. Like these are things that are just all thrown out the window. And, and a lot of these producers don't give it rats behind about that. And, um, and so that's when, when I read this one, that's sort of what I think about is like this EP yelling at someone on the phone and the EP's probably, you know, what do they do? They're not even in the office by 10 AM. What are they doing? Sleeping? Well, they're probably, yeah, they're probably out to lunch or <laughs> good, good for them. Like, they're good. at some, they're at some kind of event. That's fun. When I, when you read this story, it brought back my own trauma as well in terms of being screamed at mm -hmm. the, and then in thinking about this person's mental health and, and, you know, did they, you know, where are they now? Did they, mm -hmm. did they go and get help? Did they find healing? And I find it really sad that, you know, to this day, I don't take on supervising roles for fear of gaslighting and stress. And I just think of so many people's potential become so limited in the industry because you start to not wanting to take higher positions and it's much easier. Well, let me just take a lower position. At least then I'm making a paycheck and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still in there working and you start to limit your potential. And then because you have all this experience as an EP or supervising, you're bringing that experience to a lower role. So in a lot of ways, that company, that show is getting a really good deal and they know it. They're paying you a lower rate, a lower title, and yeah. you're a supervisor. You have way more experience and they're psyched that they're getting you at that. Right. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, that's yeah. challenging. It is super challenging. Um, uh, this is a short one and this is kind of some dark humor, but it's definitely <laughs> relatable to a degree. So we got this message. I am a producer and was working a job that we never got a day off from. Working seven day weeks for several months straight. One morning on my way to work, I had a close encounter with a bus. My very first thought was, bummer. If I'd gotten, if I'd gotten hit by that bus, I wouldn't have to go to work today. <laughs> wow. 
like that is so sad like he's being funny i think he's being funny but at the same time or like she's being funny or she's being funny i don't know why i immediately assumed it was a dude just because i probably had that thought at some point too um but like yeah like that is what the the business can do to you or these jobs can do to you you just become you just want some sort of relief that your life doesn't even matter that it would be better if you got hit by a bus so you don't have to go to work i mean he's definitely speaking in hyperbole (laughs) right he's definitely speaking in hyperbole but like i get it i we all get it and oh my god and we're talking about let's bring it back to what it is we're making bad tv shows like let's be real right we're making bad tv shows like there's only a handful of shows that are really doing good for people the end of the day this is entertainment people it's entertainment that's right and And it's supposed to be entertainment and yet the people behind the scenes they are not being entertained no quite the opposite (laughs) all right let's read another um okay So a lot of people don't talk about the real issue of time reporting and position deception. I was an AP on an Apple TV travel show, but my first paycheck said field producer. I found out later that the line producer got kudos for hiring an 1100 a week field producer. I was told to not worry about hours and to always put on my time card a fake standard 12 hours for five days that it was just the unspoken rule if you wanted to show that you're a team player. Yeah, yeah. definitely definitely dealt with that. Um, now the, the sneakiness of the line producer to change the title from field producer uh, to AP or AP to field producer so that they could, you know, get that, that attaboy, you know, for hiring such an inexpensive field producer, that's, so dumb and so ridiculous and um but but the idea of sort of just putting numbers on your time card for you know whatever just to to make it match up properly for whatever the production company's trying to do yeah oh yeah that's real yeah, that I mean, mike i don't did you ever really fill out a correct time card very rarely i would say most of the time I filled out one time card and made Xerox copies of them for the duration of the show. And that was it. The other times I would put, uh, a, like a line across like diagonally across, like, I don't know if they, many people have seen these time cards, but they're like grids and, and, you know, boxes where you have boxes to put in literally your time in your time for lunch, your time out for lunch your time out of, of the day. And then you add up all the hours, at the end. So one for, you know, seven days a week across the board, we would literally just put a line across and say worked, right? Worked and put a diagonal across all of it. And that was it. And if you, um, I had an experience once where I put the line for seven days and we were on, the producers were on a six day week. And so the line producer came back with my time card and said I had to make a new time card and put six days. Because if I had the line at seven days, that would be overtime, even right, though it did work seven days. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and, what did, and what did you do? I did it. I was a did. good girl and I followed the rules. Because you didn't want to get fired. I didn't want to get fired. 
I want to cause. You, I didn't want to cause any trouble. No, we don't no. want to rock the what, boat. What are, right? what are labor laws? I didn't even know if we had any any protection or anything. All right, you want to read another one? Yeah, we got a couple more of these, and then we'll 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 transition here. Okay. Um, I'm just sort of scrolling through Henry. To, I'm going to pick one okay. of these other ones here. This is a a more a more recent one. Um, so it says, I've worked in game shows and other non-scripted shows for over a decade. I love what I do, and I've worked so hard for what I have. On weekends, on holidays, in hospitals, on sick days. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss poem. Um, on a vacation while breastfeeding, while grieving, I've constantly worked hard. I have a disease that is directly affected by stress, bad sleep, and requires proper diet and exercise. Anytime I am in production, I have to immediately double my medication. COVID showed me very quickly how beneficial a break could be, and I was almost able to go off medication completely until we started up again with an entirely new workload from home. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in there. It's, 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 it does. It says so much about, first of all, to say I have a disease that is directly affected by stress, bad sleep, and requires proper diet and exercise. I mean, what is your disease? Happiness? Because that's really, you know, what, what we're all lacking in, in life is. Well, then I wonder you know, too, is that disease directly caused by the conditions of working, being overworked? I mean, if you're yeah, working yeah. on weekends, holidays, you're, while you're breastfeeding, grieving, yeah. it, it, not taking on vacation, you're not getting a vacation if you're working. Henry, when, when Margaret, my wife was, um, pregnant with our first child, Charlotte, who's now 10. I was working for a company and they were, they were, they were, they were great. They were, it was owned by a family guy. They were very supportive. However, when we had, when Margaret had the baby, I said I was taking a week off one week, seven days. Well, not really five. It was five days, right? Cause Monday through Friday, and, um, and I just thought that that was, I felt guilty for taking that five, those five days off. And I was home with Margaret from, I think Charlotte was born on a, a Thursday night. So I, I, I took that rest of that week and then until the next Friday. So I got, you know, I got like maybe 10 days and I felt so guilty, not to Margaret for leaving her after she just had a baby and she went through a, a situation. And you're newborn. She, my newborn, but, but she went through, a, um, she had mastitis, which is a, a complication from breastfeeding where it's incredibly painful and she gets a fever and she was, she was sick. She had to go back in the hospital and I felt guilty for being away from my job for that time. Wow. And, and it took me a few years and Margaret for sure was like pissed. Right. And I felt guilty. I left her. I left her. I, I, I made, I had my mom come and take care of Margaret at the house while I was going in and working and working on developing reality shows. Wow. Cause and, again, you're conditioned and brainwashed that that's right. the job is number one, even though you just have a newborn and your wife is sick and going back to the hospital. Yeah. Like, yeah. It took me years to like apologize to her and, and make her like have her understand that I understood how, crappy that was how traumatizing and, that was not just for her yeah. you and your relationships and the baby 
Yes. Just... And, and that's something that I just, you know, I, I, there was, there was other moments along the way that were, that fell into that category, but I didn't care, you know, like I, it didn't, it was like, like we got to make money. We got, we, cause if we don't, yeah. if I don't, if I say no, they're going to hire somebody else and we won't have any money. Cause so, I'm replaceable. That's right. That's right. Just eats away at your self-worth. It's so, like, it doesn't matter how talented you are or how no. really great at producing or clever, witty at developing. It, it's still, if you don't show up, you're replaceable. And that yeah. fear is what really then drives you in terms of shutting down from seeing the bigger picture of what was really going on. And I think that had I had more, I don't know how uh, more understanding or more perspective at that time, I probably would have had the wherewithal to ask or tell my boss that I was going to take two weeks off or three weeks, you know, or whatever it was. I mean, not, I didn't want to be greedy, but like now I think there's actually paternity leave that they have for whatever job it is. Like the state mandates it that you have to be able to take this time off to be with your, your new child. Um, but I think had I had the wherewithal back then, I would have demanded to have more time. You know, I should have demanded to have more time off and they probably would have been fine with it. They wouldn't have replaced me. But I, but like you said, Henry, you're, we're conditioned to think that we are replaceable out of the drop of a hat. And so we don't want to put ourselves in that position. I think it's also interesting that you just brought up like now the state mandates it. I mean, there's a reason why then the state has to start mandating paternity leave because so not just our industry, so many other industries where we're just conditioned to work yeah. that that job is becoming so much more important than the family and the families become second. Yep. All right. So we have one more. Okay. So just found this and it makes me sad, but here's the story. And they're talking about, um, I believe this is from the nonfiction unite Instagram. So just found this and it makes me sad, but here's my story. I worked for an Emmy winning competition show for nine seasons, worked 16 hour days for six weeks straight with no days off as that is what was needed to be done. One night I was up all night throwing up and saw blood in my vomit. So I went to the ER and missed work. After being told I had multiple ulcers in a condition that could lead to throat cancer, I went to tell the head of production I needed to go home and couldn't do the shoot. The first thing she said to me was, I just don't want to hear you're on another show when you leave. That was the moment that destroyed my love for content creation. I recently left TV and my he my health, both mental and physical, had improved immensely. No one's health is less important than getting that interview bite. We're just shaking our heads here, like in dis in disbelief. I mean, we've re obviously read these previous to, to talking about them right now, but I don't know how I'll read. I could read these a hundred times and every time I shake my head, like it's unbelievable. And so real. These are not, these are not ridiculous stories in, in, within the world of re reality television. This these is commonplace. This, this is, is commonplace common. stories. This is standard. This is like, these, I would even say are like not that extreme. These are like, these are average stories. Average hundred percent. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, Henry. Um, yeah, I mean, it is so, I mean, I don't know, Mike, it's just, I, I just, I feel so heartbroken and sad for just all these people. And not only because we've gone through it, so we understand it, but it's still happening. And it's, we're ma they're making TV, it's entertainment. Yeah. There should be there should be just more ease, more fun, and not somebody you know in the hospital throwing up and getting these diagnoses and then and then telling their bosses and receiving just such coldness in return. They're like there's where's there's such a lack of humanity. Like I don't even have the words for it because it, it's it's just it's so mind boggling and upsetting to me. Yeah, um, I echo all those thoughts. You know, as we shift here a little bit, you know, I just want to say, listen, at the end of the day, we all do have a choice. And that's what I was saying at the top of the show. You know, the, in the choices, do we find a new path, right? A new career path. And that's not easy. Changing careers is not an easy thing to do. And for me personally, there's been a lot of moments of doubt and questioning myself, but that's not because somebody else put that on me. That's because I'm putting it on myself. And that, and, and that is the, uh, listen, we shouldn't doubt ourselves, but it's better that it's you're coming from you than it is from some person who doesn't mean anything. And, you know, but, but TV was who I was and it was my identity. And it's been a challenge for me to get to, you know, to get people to know me, you know, to get to know the new me. And, um, you know, I'm glad that I've done it a hundred percent but it has been a challenge. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, Henry, you know, how did, how was it for you to make that shift or, or to that moment that you made that shift? Absolutely. There was a lot of fear and I went from working in a really cool type of career where people would say, wow, you work in television. That's so cool. That's amazing. And now I'm, I'm teaching mindfulness meditation and doing Reiki and dousing energy healing. And people were like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I went from something that was so broad that people understood. I mean, most people have a television in their home, so they understand the concept of yeah. a TV show. <laughs> Whereas in terms of what I do now, they're like, say what? Right. Um, like explain that. What, what does that mean? <laughs> what is that? Or mean? they just nod and smile and go, okay, see you later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there was a, there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of judgment. Like, why would you leave that career? Yet, I mean, it's all about at a certain point, I just came to the decision that I wanted to put myself first. I wanted to stop putting the job, putting television first. I wanted to start putting myself first. And the first step for me was I had to walk away from a career in television that I loved because Mikey, I love TV. I still mm -hmm. love TV. I mean, I love TV. I love watching TV. I love making TV. And so I had to walk away from something I loved in order to choose myself and learn to put myself first. And now, I mean, my life is completely different. I have a whole world. My life is so balanced. I'm 
I don't know. I'm taking cooking classes. I'm learning how to play pickleball. I like I, have, play pickleball I have a whole life. <laughs> that it's I incredible. Been able to do if I was still working in television. Yeah, I had I had somebody, uh, a former colleague, text me tonight at about seven thirty, and ask for some assistance for that. That was sort of cross related indirectly with real estate, and um, for a show. And so I ended up calling him and I'm like, are you still working right now? He's like, yeah. And I just, I didn't want to like rub it in, but I was like, I just actually got to meet an old friend for dinner and on, on a, on a Monday, you know, and it was just this feeling of like the sigh of relief of just, I don't have to do that. And I'm not indebted to somebody else. I can, I, I have control and power and, it just makes me feel like, how could we let this happen for so long? You know, and I, I don't want to put down the people that are still doing it because everybody has their own thing and their own reasoning and their own, you know, their own whys, right? Everyone's got their own why. And, and that's okay. But for me, it, I just feel like the handcuffs have been off and the weight has been lifted and yeah, I get still stressed out about things now, but not in the same way. Like it's not even close. Not and, even close. And um, and I'm just so you know grateful for for that. And I think that's a good shift into sort of our last. I will say one segment. other point that you're yeah. making, Mike. You know, I would say what I hope for is that there can become, there can be a way that more balance can be had in the industry, mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And there can be reasonable hours and there can be, you know, a way that people can have put themselves first and then the job is second and they can have their lives more balanced. And that's what the hope is. And that's what I, you know, I really, I don't know, I just have hope for. Well, I think that there are, there are a few jobs out there in content creation. You know, I use that as a broad term for making TV or whatever, but like there are a few jobs out there that I think you can have more of a balance. Um, you know, we were sort of in the most wild west version of it all. And I think that it, there, there, you're, we're starting to see just, we're starting to see the very beginning of something something's gonna are absolutely gonna change i believe they are i think that this sort of pending strike or or that was about to happen was the first big puzzle piece that needed to be in place and then i think we're going to start to see some of the reality people you know causing a more of an uproar because it's just the the reality business is creating a humongous percentage of the revenue that's happening with these studios and i hope that you know our our little tiny podcast can be one little piece of that puzzle to help spur it on and get some of that momentum maybe and um you know i think for season two henry we're gonna be able to you know to bring some some other voices in and that was sort of always our goal right was to bring in some other voices to 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 help push that message along but also to help people understand that we have rights we have options we have 
um, the ability to put ourselves first. And I think uh, I'm, I'm confident and hopeful that we're gonna be able to do that. And I would say with what you just said, not just in TV and film in any industry. 100%. So with yeah. that, let's go to gratitude. Let's do it. So let's take one moment to honor all the stories we just shared, giving gratitude for everyone who has shared and for everyone who resonates with these stories. Remember, you aren't alone. We hear you. We see you. We understand you. You are not alone. <sighs> yeah. Thank you, Henry, for saying that. Um, and my, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to look at the end of the season here that we've done. I'm grateful to all the people that we have worked with, that I have worked with in my career in television. Lots of them I still talk to. Uh, lots of them listen to the podcast. I'm grateful for each and every one of you because if I still stay in touch with you, it means you're a freaking awesome person and and you you're a good person and um and i'm happy to know you so i'm grateful for all those people so yeah i'll say ditto to that as well thank you everyone <laughs> and we have thoroughly enjoyed also reconnecting with everyone specifically on social media on facebook where we've been sharing photos from our times on set. So it has just been amazing. So thank you. Thank you. So this is a wrap on this season. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, it's That's a, a wrap. wrap. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you everyone for listening. And we've been getting a lot of messages on social media. So thank you. And please continue sending us some. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, listen, we have more stories. If you want to hear more stories, <laughs> reach out to us. If you want to share your stories, we'd love to hear them. Um, we can, again, we're just happy to be a sounding board too. We, we know how important that can be to your sanity. So feel free to reach out to us anytime via any media possible. Uh, if you have questions, you want to hit us on Instagram. The show is at live and learn show on both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you want to hit me up personally, my Instagram is at MikeHazen.Realtor, and that's the same for my Facebook. Henry, and what about you? Mine is, um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at InspiringYou.co. And please follow us and reach out. And this is a disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes. Please consult with your health practitioner if you have a medical condition. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you live and learn. Woo! <laughs>